Hello and good morning, at least from my perspective in the southern United States. I would like to start this episode by wishing blessings upon all of you and that I hope we can all learn something. This edition of There's a Family Bible will tackle the ugly issue of divorce. Uh, let's face it, aside from the death of a loved one, divorce is perhaps the most heart-wrenching thing a person can go through. Uh, the hopes and expectations we had for life are dashed and destroyed. Uh, it is very true that it is like the death of a family member. Divorce is, aside from a person going to hell, perhaps the greatest tragedy facing the church today. And this, But the simple fact is, is that it does not have to be this way. However, because even saved genuine Christian sin, it is a sad fact. Before we examine the Bible's teaching on divorce, I would like to say that I think a lot of divorces could be prevented if more consideration were taken as to who we are marrying and what we need in a relationship. Of course, some things are not found out about the other person or even yourself until after you are married and living together, but this is to be expected. And one huge mistake made in this respect is that a lot of people get married who are not even best friends. Friendship like this lays the strongest foundation possible for a marriage. Without it, it is not likely to last. I think the church uh, has really failed uh, married couples today, and I say this because you really don't seem to hear a whole bunch of stuff about uh, trying to protect um, male-female marriages. Um, really, the whole thing that uh, you heard uh, a couple of years ago even, or even more than that, was when their big fuss was about the homosexuals trying to get married and all that. They, The church was saying we need to protect marriage. Um, but in retrospect, I can look back and see the, if the church wants to be more concerned about protecting marriage, it needs to get much more serious about offering services to people who are wanting to get married, uh, like premarital counseling. The Catholic Church requires premarital counseling for six months, I believe, for people who are wanting to get married in the Catholic Church. And I think it might even be a good idea if this was required by law in each state and uh, we might even see a decline in the divorce rate if this were to be the case. Um, before we examine the Bible's teaching on divorces uh, further, I just want to say this, that uh, I know that this is a very sensitive issue uh, for people, and um, I hope that in listening to this, that Jesus or will grant you some kind of insight as to what you're struggling with. And uh, I just really, again, again hope that uh, your heart will be opened and burdens will be lifted. So here we go. Uh, Jesus had the most generalized statements on the subject of divorce, and they are for some reason a subject of controversy when they should not be. 
we have his first teaching on divorce in Matthew 5.31. Um, also, it, it has also been said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality brings adultery upon her. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits immorality because... And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, who have heard that it was said to the ancients, do not break your oath, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. What is interesting here is the phrase sexual immorality. Anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery and also whoever she marries. Some translations render this as fornication. Uh, the original Greek, according to Strong's Concordance, would have this word cover all manner of sexual sin and not just the actual act of physical adultery. It would mean any romantic relationship outside of the marriage covenant before or after a divorce, regardless of the reason for the divorce, if it was not a biblical divorce. Uh, fornication covers uh, the word fornication, pornea, uh, covers all types of sexual sin, including adultery. So adultery is just one form of por uh, pornea, or pornea, or however you say it. Now in Mark 10:11, Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. Here he does not mention sexual immorality as a reason, but as we know, the Bible does not contradict itself. The lack of a mention does not matter. The, the reason of sexual immorality is still valid. We will go ahead and examine the teachings of Paul on this subject. The great apostle has much to say on it, and again, we must remember that there is nothing in the Bible that contradicts itself. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 through 11 to the married I give this command, not I but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. What Paul is doing here is reaffirming the teaching of Christ. A spouse should not divorce for any reason other than adultery. The fact he does not mention that here means nothing. He knew his readers were already familiar with what Christ had already said, so mentioning it again was not necessary. I will stop for a moment and address something here that is not explicitly mentioned here. Uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of spouses who find themselves in abusive situations verbally and physically. Uh, God expects no one to remain in those situations. It is my belief that, based on Scripture, God expects the person who has separated to remain married to that person. Um, this this sends this is to send the message to them that their behavior is not being tolerated and give them a chance to repent. However, if the person does not change and were to decide to divorce the believing spouse, they could, I suppose, be called an unbeliever and uh, then the believing spouse would be freed from the marriage. 
I know this is a very sensitive area, and I do not believe that anyone should look down on a believer who has divorced under those circumstances. And I do know that, unfortunately, I've heard where there have been some churches who have looked down on uh, people who have done this. And uh, but I do know, you know, that that should not be handled that way exactly. I guess I don't know. I mean, there are definitely ways, Christian ways, in which that situation should be handled. Uh, but I do know also that God honors those who honor what he has said. You know, you go before the church and the people in the church, God, you know, and God, and you say, till death do us part, I take this person as my spouse. You know, God honors you. God will honor you for choosing to go by your word and not break it. But, you know, even if you do break your word, you know, of course, it is covered by the blood, but you will have lost, and it is my belief that you will have lost some of your re reward in heaven. Um, anyway, there is another passage in the book of Romans, which people sometimes use to say, uh, remarriage during the life of an ex-spouse is adultery and thus not permissible. Romans chapter 7, verse 1 through 3 or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from, the, free from that law. So that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Now, what this passage is talking about is how the old way, the law, uh, the Jews were married to the law. So the law, but the law has died. So the Jews no longer have to be bound by it. The new law is the one of Christ. This is not talking about human marriage. The thing of this passage is, is that God divorced Israel for her unfaithfulness. Well, obviously God is not, God is still alive, but yet Israel is married to Jesus. So, and again, further on, we have in the books of Genesis and 1 Corinthians, the idea that God did not make man to be alone and that there are some people who cannot contain themselves and are thus better off married. <clears throat> married. God in his mercy understands that marriages uh, sometimes end in divorce for adultery or an unbelieving spouse divorcing the believer. He will certainly allow the innocent person to remarry. The guilty, uh, the guilty party is, of course, then bound to no one. But they, of course, will have to answer to God for their actions. This brings us to a very important other issue regarding divorce. There is a tremendous sadness like the death of a loved one, a great deal of anger and betrayal that must be dealt with. There are, these are some of the most powerful emotions, and they can be very difficult to deal with. We may often find we see our ex-spouse as an enemy. We must then remember the words of Christ, but uh, who said, We are to bless our enemies. 
God does not want us to carry the poison of bitterness with us, but instead wants us to be free from that and to prosper. You can't do that with bitterness and anger. The forgiveness is for you, and it's not for them. Give your burdens to the Lord daily. And remember, there is life, there is life after the divorce. Maybe even another chance at love. Uh, before I end this episode, I want, I want to say this. You know, divorce is, of course, not an unforgivable sin. It, you know, there are, it seems to be some teachers or even websites that say if you divorce and you remarry, and you die while your ex-spouse uh, is still alive, then you're not a Christian, you're not saved, you burn in hell. That is inherently wrong. Um, there are some sites out there that teach this, and I'm not even going to mention them. Uh, it's all about trying to realize the fact that the words we read in the Bible, the Holy Word of God is... It is, it is brought to us today in a, a language that is foreign to its original form. You know, in this case, ancient Greek. So we have to take the time to go back and see what these words mean in the original language. And even how the original audience would have understood it. That is the only way that we can really gain a proper understanding of what God is telling us in his word. So if you are listening to this obviously you've probably been through a divorce so i encourage you to look up these passages particularly the ones that have the words of christ look these up yourself and you will see what i'm talking about with this and so in the end i want to say god bless you all in the name of jesus and uh, i hope you all uh, are able to Turn your burdens over to him, because trust me, he will take care of them, and he will take care of you. Thank you, and God bless.